coverage of the emerging digital health space. I'm Medtech Insights Commercial and R&D Manager, Reed Miller. With me today are our Managing Editor, Marion Webb, and our DC-based reporter, Hannah Daniel. So Marion, I will start with you. You attended this year's American Diabetes Association Conference, which took place in your hometown of San Diego. There you had an opportunity to talk to several leaders from the biggest diabetes companies. So what can you tell us about those conversations? Yes, thanks, Reed. So it was great to be back at the convention center here in San Diego and meet with some of the leaders in the diabetes space face to face. To summarize for this podcast, I had the great opportunity to sit down and chat with the CEOs of Dexcom, Tandem Diabetes Care, and Renalytics. And I also had a chance to meet with some senior managers at Medtronic and Abbott. To give you some of the highlights, Tandem rented out space for a technology showcase at a local restaurant in downtown San Diego, where it went to great length to showcase their existing and next generation technologies and services. The big product, of course, is the new Tandem Mobi insulin pump, which is about half the size of its flagship T-Slim X2 pump and offers some innovative features. The pump recently received FDA clearance just a few weeks after the event, which is, of course, excellent news for the company. So their device is a competitor for Medtronic's device, is that right? Correct. So Tandem's Mobi will compete with Medtronic's new Minimed 780G insulin pump, which also finally won approval from the FDA earlier this year after a long delay that was prompted by a warning letter from the FDA after an inspection at Medtronic's manufacturing facility. So Medtronic's diabetes business in the U.S. has lost market share to competitors, including Tandem and Insulet. And the company is now hoping to regain market share with this new pump, which was Medtronic's big showcase at this year's ADA conference. The company presented new data around the meal detection technology in particular, which is part of the 780G and supported time and range outcomes that exceeded consensus guidelines of 70%. All right, fantastic. Now, you also had a chance to talk to Dexcom CEO Kevin Sayer. His company is located in San Diego. So what did you learn during that conversation? Yes, so Dexcom is, of course, a leader in the continuous glucose monitoring market and in fierce competition with Abbott. So Mr. Sayer and I sat down to talk about the impact of the historic expansion of CGM coverage by CMS, which removes the prior requirement of multiple daily insulin injections and now opens up a huge market opportunity for CGM to be used by a much broader population with non-insulin treated diabetes. And Mr. Say expects that this expansion will add about 7 million people in total and Dexcom will target this new population by stepping up its marketing efforts of its next generation G7 CGM in the second half of this year and then also in 2024. He also told me that they have plans to move into the consumer market, which is an entirely new market that Abbott actually just tapped into with the announcement this week of the launch of its long-awaited Lingo Bio wearable in the UK with hopes to expand that into other markets, including the U.S. So Abbott CEO Robert Ford first unveiled the Lingo Bio wearable development at CES back in 2022. 
And since then, the firm has been pretty secretive about the development until the big announcement this week that uh, the biowearable is now available for healthy people to monitor their glucose levels. That will be starting in the UK. Okay, so how does that work? So it's a biowearable sensor that's attached behind your arm. So the technology, I should I should say, is based on the Freestyle Libre, which, of course, is designed for the diabetes community. This one is designed for healthy individuals, as I said before, and is it, so the sensor is attached behind your arm and works with an app that will constantly provide data with the idea that it teaches to consumer, and this is in the words of Abbott CEO, about how the body reacts to food, how it reacts to sleep, how it reacts to exercise, and the goal is to optimize those spikes throughout the day. So this is something that endurance athletes are likely going to be very interested in to try to improve their performance. And it's certainly good marketing that the biowearable has been vetted by elite marathoner Elliot Kipchoge to track his glucose levels for optimal tr nutrition, training, performance, and recovery. Abbott is also starting clinical trials for a combined glucose ketone sensor and then also plans to add lactate and other clinical analytes later. Okay, well, that'll be interesting to watch. And of course, uh, also when and how Dexcom gets into that space is something that we're going to pay attention to. Well, thanks a lot, Marian. So, of course, our readers can learn a lot more about your interviews by reading your stories at medtechinsight.com right now. So speaking of AI, Hannah, you've been covering digital health guidances from the FDA, which, of course, is very important. And in particular, the clinical decision support software final guidance has obviously been a controversial one. Can you tell us uh, what about the latest citizen petition filed on that guidance? Sure thing. So the CDS final guidance, which it's called, was published in September of 2022. But since then, there's been a lot of backlash from industry members and manufacturers about the scope of the guidance, which many argue is too broad for the FDA to legally regulate. Basically, the guidance brought more types of clinical decision support software under the umbrella of medical devices. And with that, many more manufacturers will need to gain approval from the FDA before bringing their software to market. So this month, I spoke to Barbara Evans, a health law professor at the University of Florida, about her recent citizen petition that, that alleges that CDS guidance infringes on the free speech of physicians. The guidance is limiting physicians' access to information sources, which can serve as, quote-unquote, inputs to their professional's free speech, as she put it. Evans said that the agency is asking the wrong questions with the guidance, however, and instead of trying to regulate AI by itself, the FDA should be consulting AI tools to help regulate AI and software and make sure its regulators are equipped with the proper resources to bring innovative technologies safely to market. So now let's turn to Reed. Um, this month, you wrote about a big milestone for Better Therapeutics, one of the prescription digital therapeutics companies we've been following. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's right. So Better Therapeutics plans to launch Aspire RX, a prescription digital therapeutics, or PDT, as they call them. Uh, and that's for people with type 2 diabetes. They're going to try to launch that by the fourth quarter of 2023. So the FDA authorized this PDT as a class 2 device through its de novo pathway earlier this month. Now, that was a huge milestone for this company. Uh, one they've been talking about to investors for a while, they said it was going to come this year. So it's a huge relief that it actually happened this year. 
As it is, they're running out of money and they need to start commercializing something soon. Gotcha. And what exactly does AspireX do? So it provides cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT through mobile devices to help people with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes improve their glycemic control. Now, according to the company's CEO, Frank Krabby, until now, clinicians have not had a standardized, evidence-based, prescribable, and scalable form of behavioral therapy that will empower patients to make and sustain behavioral changes. Yeah, so there are a lot of apps out there that help people improve their diet and exercise routines. Um, So why did Better Therapeutics decide to go through the FDA to get this authorization rather than just put this app out on the app store and promote it for consumers? Yeah, that's a question uh, we we have for all of these companies doing this. So basically what uh, Better Therapeutics said was that it's absolutely critical that they can prove to customers and even more importantly to payers that their product meets a high standard of quality, safety, and hopefully effectiveness. If they didn't get this authorized or cleared by the FDA, a lot of payers, including a lot of the Medicaid uh, agencies, probably just wouldn't cover it at all. So it's absolutely critical for adoption that they get people to pay for it. Now, we saw this with Paratherapeutics, the company we've written a lot about. Now, they tried to make PDTs for substance abuse. um, And if you couldn't get people to pay for that, then none of the users were going to be able to use it. And Pair found that out, that a lot of the people who were prescribed those PDTs never tried it. So at least part of that lack of enthusiasm can probably be attributed to doctors who weren't fully convinced that the PDTs are a good option, even though Pear produced data suggesting that it was. Um, and so the companies need to do everything they, they can to show that these digital platforms really can work. And Pear thought they had done all that, but they never got enough um, payers to support it. And that's why they uh, went out of business this summer. Um, we've written quite a bit about that. Yeah, so does Better Therapeutics have that evidence? Yeah, so the FDA authorized the Aspire RX, which was uh, formerly known as the BT001, um, based on 90-day results from a 669-subject randomized trial that compared the standard of care therapy with the Aspire RX PDT or a control app with standard therapy. So results from the study were published last year in Diabetes Care, that's a journal, The trial showed statistically significant decreases in HbA1c levels. That's an important marker for for diabetes. In the treatment group compared to the control group, and the results were sustained and improved between day 90 and day 180 of the follow-up. So they're pretty convinced that this can help. And then what's next for this company? So Better Therapeutics is going to roll it out later this year. And now they're also looking for financing or maybe some other partnerships that can help them going. Like I said, they've repeatedly have said like, oh, we need financing to extend our runway. You know, they're not making money right now. And they want to build the customer base for this program. And one of the things they suggested they might do is a royalty monetization transaction. I think that basically means that you you get some money now and then you sell rights to some of the future revenue stream from the IP. The company is also still cutting costs. They let some people go. They had a net loss of over $9 million last quarter and with just $6 million on hand. So obviously they need more money. Um, but they got this approval. And you know obviously the type 2 diabetes market is a big market. Um, and that's why they're focused on it. And they also think that that's a group of people, I mean, the people who are uncontrolled, so by definition, they need help, are motivated to try something like this. So there's hope they can get traction with this, um, but we'll see. Yeah, that will be really interesting to follow in the wake of the pair dissolution. So thank you, Reed. And with that, we'll wrap it up.
You can read about all the topics that we've mentioned and more at medtechinsight.com. There you can also access all of our podcasts, including past editions of the Digital Health Roundup, and all of the podcasts from our sister publications like Pink, Scrip, HBW, and InVivo. Just click the podcast menu at the top of the homepage. Thanks, and have a great week.